0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Eye on the Ball here, and it's, oh, guys, this is going to be a crazy one. We're going to get into it in this episode. I am super excited for this, and also, uh, th- just, just, this is going to be intense. This is going to be intense, because, to be honest, I have a rant for you guys and uh, here in a little bit that's going to be, it's going to get quite heated, I feel, but that's not how we're going to start out. I want to start out today by going over the NLCS because both championship series are over in the MLB. They are both concluded and I want to start off with the NLCS because this one's definitely an interesting one to talk about and my rant as you all might know already will come in the American League championship series section of this. So let's get into it here. So the NLCS was between the Phillies and the Padres. The Padres had home field advantage in this one. And my prediction was that they were going to take this one uh, in six games, four games to two. I thought they had what it takes. The Padres, in my eyes, looked like a more balanced team. Yes, the Phillies were hitting well. Reese Hoskins, uh, was hitting very well throughout the division series. Bryce Harper was kind of sh- starting to come back a little bit. And, you know, it, it, the Phillies were looking good, but I thought the Padres had a more balanced team, you know, coming into this. More balanced pitching, more balanced offense. Better defense. Like, I I thought it was going to be not an easy series for the Padres by any means, but I thought they were going to take care of this one pretty handily. And boy, was I wrong. (laughs) Oh, I was so wrong, you guys. I was wrong in both of these predictions. And, you know, this one wasn't even my worst one. This one wasn't even my worst one. But I said the Padres would take this game or this series in six. They lost it in five. Four games to one. Oh, this was painful for me. Uh, And really, it was an exciting series, though. I don't want you guys thinking this was a a bad series if you didn't happen to watch it. If you didn't happen to tune in for a lot of it. It was an exciting series to watch. Except for game one. Uh, Game one was the least action-packed out of the five. Because... That one, we saw two home runs from Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber. uh, Shocker, shocker there. But but that was it for game one. And Padres got shut out in that one, and Phillies took that game one. Not a very exciting game. Game two. Game two really started the excitement uh, with a huge comeback win for the Padres in that one that was the one game that they actually took the one game they actually won Uh, and that one was cool for several reasons and you know really one of the cool stories about game two is that you had Nola versus Nola brother versus brother as Aaron Nola the starting pitcher for the Phillies got to face up against his brother catcher for the Padres Austin Nola and you know It's hard to say who got the last laugh here. I would have to say Aaron, considering the Phillies are going to the World Series while the Padres are headed home, their season over. But at the same time, if you're just looking at that game two, Austin Nola really got the last laugh because, mind you, the Phillies started off game two very strong. They jumped out to an early 4-0 lead uh, in the first inning over the Padres. But that didn't last for very long because in the bottom of the second, uh, Brandon Drury and Josh Bell had opened up the inning with back-to-back home runs. So it ended up being 4-3 to three after two. But then a couple innings later, after some scoreless ball, uh, pitching calmed down a little bit. Everyone settled in a little bit. Uh, the fifth kind of brought the scoring back around, especially for the Padres as... Uh, you know, after a couple of batters, Austin Nola, who is Aaron Nola's brother, uh, got a clean hit to score the first run of that inning. And really, it went on from there. And this was, see, this is the thing, is that Austin Nola's hit really just started to break open the game for the Padres. And that's why I say he got the last laugh in this one, is because he partially started the rally. Yes, Brandon Drury and Josh Bell had the home runs but I feel like Austin Nola really started to open up the hits department not just home runs but just the overall hits department for that inning as the Padres stormed back took the lead and never let it go for the rest of the game and they did end up winning game two and Aaron Nola ended up getting pulled in that same inning so you know it it just One of those cool moments, brother versus brother. We've seen it a few times in the MLB. Uh, You know, not common by any means, but it's something that we do get to see every now and again, and it's always fun to watch. And Reese Hoskins had home run fun in this series. He was just going off. I feel like every time I checked my notifications, it was, you know, home run Reese Hoskins, home run Reese Hoskins, like... He had two in one game in I believe game five, uh, game, th- game four or game five. and it was it was just his series. He's been on fire during the postseason and he's, he's just been electric, not even just with home runs, but getting hits uh, all over the field. He just hasn't been able to be stopped. No one has been able to slow him down this postseason and he, he's just looking at his best. Which is, you know, it's interesting because Hoskins has had some ups and downs over the past couple of years. So to see him kind of thriving, to see the Phillies thriving uh, in this manner is, is quite amazing, to say the least. To take down the Cardinals uh, and to move on and then face down, you know, the Padres and really just continue to go, go, go. Just Continuously. Amazing. Uh, the Division Series, they got through that. Just their entire trek up till now has been astonishing. And you have to love the underdog story here. And they are headed to the World Series. Juan Soto was kept relatively quiet, too. For the Padres, that was one major thing for this Phillies team is that they kept Juan Soto quiet. And even when he started to heat up a little bit later in the series, uh, he had a couple home runs later on in the last couple of games. He had some big hits, but the thing was the Phillies never really stopped coming back. They just could not be stopped. They kept scoring runs. They kept the Padres and Soto and that entire team just quiet enough to sneak by. And so, really, this was a a very good performance from the Phillies to move on to the World Series here. And one thing I want to note, too, is that Juan Soto had maybe not the worst defensive play in this series uh, and, and in the postseason so far, but one of the worst, one of the top, for sure, because he just took a horrible horrible route to the ball it was in the game that the Padres actually won and basically gave up a free double because he was chasing the ball it looked like he was actually going to catch it but then he went to go play it on a hop and it just bounced over him Took a horrible route to the ball couldn't come up with the ball at all whether on the bounce or on the catch doesn't matter he just one of the worst plays for sure uh and You know, it's crazy because you have Juan Soto, who's such a generational talent with the bat, such an amazing player at the plate, but defense is not great. We'll put it that way. He's not a defensive star and yet has been up for a gold glove this year. He's up for a gold glove and that shocks me. To be honest, that, that truly shocks me that Juan Soto's up for a gold glove. Um, hasn't, hasn't performed very well as a defender. You know, he's never been known for his defensive talents. He just hasn't. You know, he's been known for his abilities at the plate. It's always what it's been. But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but, again, the Phillies got to celebrate on home soil. They did finish this series off in Philadelphia. And so they got to celebrate on their own soil. This is the first time they've been in the World Series since 2009. So congratulations really to the Phillies for making it this far. Congratulations to Rob Thompson uh, for getting a contract based off the performance ever since he took over as interim manager. He got a full contract, a three-year contract as the manager of the Phillies, and I I wish him the best of luck, and we'll see what happens in this World Series. Maybe the Phillies take home a ring, and what an underdog story that'll be, but uh, we'll get to that when I get to my World Series predictions and what I think about that. But now, this is where it's going to get heated, guys, because I want to take a couple of minutes to just give my thoughts on the New York Yankees right now. Now, they got swept by the Astros in the ALCS. A painful series to watch. Not if you're an Astros fan. If you're an Astros fan, this was an amazing series for you. You got to sweep the Yankees in this one. Four games to nothing. Completely shut the Yankees out. And win it on the Yankees turf where you've been mocked. Where your team has been mocked for years, ever since the cheating scandal, uh, the trash cans, and all of that a few years ago. So, for the Astros fans and the Astros team itself, great championship series, and they're back to the World Series once again. And mind you, this is all without Altuve, pretty much, because he didn't get; he hasn't had a single hit in the entirety of the postseason. ALDS or ALCS until that last game on Sunday night. Until game four of the ALCS, Jose Altuve had not gotten a single hit in the playoffs this year. He went for a crazy something around the lines of 0 for 30, somewhere in that general vicinity, 0 for 28, and just it's almost astonishing to be honest with you when you think of Altuve because he's been such a monster. I don't care about the, the cheating scandal, you know, that did happen. Yes, we all know it happened, but even when all of that was over, even in the past couple of years, you know, this year, especially he performed and he performed well. Uh, and especially, you know, you looked to the postseason for him to continue that, but no, really didn't really didn't. And you know, it, If he had, it could have been much worse. You know, the series was already bad enough for the Yankees, but it could have been worse if, if Altuve had been performing at his top and normal standard. But I want to rant about the Yankees here for a minute. And you guys know I've said it on here before that I'm a Yankees fan. And I try to not go too much into my own team's you know business and everything that's going on cuz i want to keep focus on the league itself and what's going around going on around the league itself i don't want to let too much bias or anything flood this show despite the fact that i definitely do have favorites but i want to take a minute here because what's happening in new york is ridiculous for a number of reasons now a lot of Yankees fans and general casual fans will be able to tell you that there's one major issue and that's some of the back room staff and the front office where you have Aaron Boone and you have Brian Cashman as some of the main targets for fan abuse now mind you I have both love and distaste for these two because i like the way that boone stands up for his players you know if a player starts arguing with an umpire uh over a bad strike call or whatever else it may be boone will immediately step out of the dugout and start arguing in turn so that his player doesn't get thrown out that is one thing he's always been known for and i do respect that so much of boone as a manager And Brian Cashman, in turn, has done an amazing job at pulling some sneaky deals out of the sky and just making these sneaky deals for players that you wouldn't expect to be fantastic or deals that you would expect to go awry. Some of them have been amazing. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Anthony Rizzo, great pickup. Like, I love the fact that he went after Rizzo to get a gold glove first baseman and not only to get him, but when he became a free agent, went after him and signed him on a multi year contract to keep him in New York, to give us that defensive soundness, to give the team that strength and that left handed bat that we so desperately needed, that the team so desperately needed. But here's my problem, and what a lot of people are also complaining about right now, is that they overly defend some of these players, or misuse these players. That's one of the biggest issues that I have. Not even that they defend them, but the misuse of them. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is one of the biggest examples. Is one of the biggest examples right now, because... Kiner Falefa, yes, he can play shortstop. We know he can. He's played it before in Texas. uh, He did serve some time at shortstop. But I'm sorry, it's not his natural position. It's not where he has that gold glove potential. If you want Isaiah Kiner Falefa at his best, you play him at third. That's where he won his gold glove. It's where he seems to be the most comfortable. It's where he seems to be the most proficient. And yet we never moved him over. Even at the end of the season. Even in the playoffs when Donaldson couldn't buy a hit. And should have been benched. When you could have put Connor Falefa at third. In his gold glove position. And filled in the shortstop spot with someone like Cabrera. While Stanton plays left field. Or you could have played Peraza at short, Cabrera and left, and Stanton as the DH. Either way, Kiner Falefa offensively performed far better than Donaldson in the playoffs. You know, offensively, he had. He had Donaldson beat by a long shot. Defensively, he was sat. He was benched because they kept playing him in a position that's not his natural position and kept playing Donaldson who couldn't buy a hit. Yes, I know Donaldson is an just superstar defensive third baseman, but so is Kiner Falefa. And the unwillingness to switch him around, to put him back in that position is insane to me, is ridiculous to me, and also another huge problem. I have have two more. The second is the unwillingness to play our young players, and this is a problem that has been going on in the Yankees franchise for years. This isn't just an Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman issue. This is something that has been going on for years. Oswald Peraza, Oswaldo Cabrera, mind you, Cabrera has actually seen some decent playing time, so you can't really fault too much there. However, again, this goes into the willingness to keep playing some of these players that aren't deserving of the playing time, rather than giving one of our young rookies a real shot. Look at Perazza. They played him in game two, and look at the plays he made. Look at the potential he showed, where you had guys like Jeremy Pena, this honestly stems back to even earlier in the season, though. Not just the playoffs, but look at Jeremy Pena for the Astros, Bryson Stott for the Phillies, and some of these young players that have made such a difference to these teams. Look at the Braves and Michael Harris. Some of these young players that have made such a difference for their teams because they were willing to take a chance. They were willing to move forward and bench certain guys and give days off to certain players to allow these young players to shine and to just put in their time. And the Yankees could have really benefited from this. I think it would have been a lot different. I think we would have seen a lot different results had Donaldson been benched. You move Kiner falefa to third, you allow Perazza to sit in the shortstop position. He's defensively sound there. We, he already showed towards the end of the regular season that he has a good bat. Let him get his swings in. It would have been a much better result and there would have been a lot more winning potential there if they had just taken that chance. Now, my third and final issue, I could say so much more about this, but I'll just keep it relatively short here. Try to anyway, with one more issue that I have here. And that is the mindset of... Of hitting in the Bronx. Because in the Bronx. At Yankee Stadium. With the Yankees team. It is all or nothing. Over the fence or nothing at all. And that is something that has plagued us for years. Yes we are known as the Bronx Bombers. The Yankees are known as the Bronx Bombers. It's been the nickname forever. Forever. But that doesn't mean That you always have to hit home runs. Look at the Guardians. Look at the Cleveland Guardians and what they were able to accomplish. They went to game five of the division series against these Yankees. Hitting nothing but little line drives here. Some ground balls that were slowly hit and beaten out there. And just the occasional one home run. You know, One, maybe two home runs every few games. But mostly, it was just contact hitting. Getting base hits. With the Yankees mindset, you get so much of this home run or strikeout mentality. Even with the contact hitters. Look, I'm going to go back to Kyner Falefa one more time. He's not a home run hitter. He's never been a home run hitter. We got him to be a contact type hitter and yet and and while that did start off very well he started off great with one of the highest batting averages on the team I think at his best he was batting over 300 maybe around 280 and that was working out so well but slowly and surely we saw his batting average drop a good 20 points or so Because even he seemed to get caught up in the mentality of being a Bronx bomber and trying to swing for the fences. And yes, it resulted in a couple of home runs, but he's not a home run hitter, never has been. One thing that needs to change moving forward, in my opinion here, is that the Yankees need to get someone in. A coach in who can tell this team you don't have to swing hard at every pitch. You don't have to swing for the fences every time. Because some of these players, Judge, St- I'm actually not going to include Judge since he's still batted around 310. He actually did just try to hit the ball and happened to hit a lot of home runs doing it. But players like Stanton, Donaldson, you know Rizzo, Could have had so much higher of a batting average. Could have had much better stats if they had just swung to make contact with the ball. Because someone like Stanton especially could have swung so easily, so softly, and still hit the ball 430 feet so many times. He would have hit so many more home runs, had such a higher batting average if he had just swung to hit the ball. Rather than constantly striking out, Donaldson, always known for his power, doesn't need to swing hard every time. Make contact, and you will happen, you know, you're just going to happen to hit it out because that's the strength that these players have. If they had done that, you would have seen these batting averages skyrocket. And if you don't hit it out, Someone like Stanton again is going to hit like a 110 mile an hour line drive right up the middle for a base hit. What infielder is going to stop that without some luck and happening to be in the right place at the right time? There would have been so many base hits that would have just been smoked and they some of them would have gone for doubles, maybe even triples or just singles that would have helped the team. labor Torres, he started to show it a little bit towards the end part of the season where he was just swinging to make contact and was hitting these line drives the other way and getting so many base hits and helping the team so much just by doing that. We need a hitting coach. We need a staff, a coaching staff that can come in and tell these players, don't swing so hard every time. Don't go for all or nothing. Make contact because here's the thing. When you make contact, if you hit a pop fly or a slow ground ball, something good can still happen. You can still beat it out. It can still fall in for a hit or the ball can be dropped or whatever else. If you strike out, nothing good can happen. Nothing good can come of that. So that's one of the biggest Yankee issues right now and something that has to be figured out moving forward. But that's my rant. Uh... I had to take the time, I felt, to really discuss that and really get that out there because, you know, it's just one of those things that we're seeing a lot in baseball. This isn't just a Yankees issue even, but it's something that's happening a lot around baseball, uh, partially because of all these analytics, you know, talking about launch angle and velocity and things like that, seeing so much of this issue of just strikeout or home run, ball it's a issue that's been plaguing the league for years but we're seeing teams like the astros like the guardians who know just how to make contact and not really strike out and they're going far even for someone like the guardians who so many people expected to finish in third finish in fourth you know just not have a good season at all So that's my rant for this episode. Uh, But let's move forward here and just quickly get through everything so this episode isn't, you know, an hour and a half long. The World Series is coming up, like I said. That'll start on Friday in Houston. Uh, The Astros have home field advantage for this World Series. And, again, that'll be the Phillies versus the Astros starting Friday night at 7 Eastern Standard Time. This is going to be an exciting World Series. You have the underdog versus... Kind of the super team, even though the Astros have a payroll that is far lower than the Phillies, the Phillies is the underdog team by far now, the Phillies have been surprising their offense has been borderline unstoppable their pitching surprisingly uh competitive and very good. however, I can't predict that they win this one. The Astros are just too good that pitching staff Raymer Valdez. Uh, Justin Verlander of course Uh, just all the Christian Javier all these pitchers that have been doing so well and you look to their bullpen and they have starters in their bullpen they have Luis Garcia they have uh, Seth Martinez they have Jose Ricchiti in their bullpen along with their other just all-star pitchers and so they are So full of depth on the pitching side, on the offensive side. So talented from top to bottom. And while the Phillies have been an amazing underdog story up until now, I'm going to say that they lose it in six. I think that the Astros are going to take both game one and game two at home. The Phillies will make a comeback and win two out of three in their home field because, let's just face it, Uh, Phillies at home are scary the fans bring so much energy to that team and they perform so well at home so I think they can take two out of three at home but then they're going to go back to Houston and Houston's going to finish them off on their own home soil to win the World Series here in 2022 that is my prediction but it's time to move into the NFL as we get into last week's predictions and results and I definitely got some wrong here, and that's partially because there were some major upsets this week, but I also did get a fair number right, so let's look at how I did here. We start off with the Saints versus the Cardinals. I said this was going to be a victory for the Cardinals, 24-22, to and yes, the Cardinals won, but the final score was 42-34 in favor of the Cardinals. Just an insane game, definitely the highest scoring game of the week of week seven here uh, unless the Bears and the Patriots outscore that I'm recording this on Monday morning so I haven't seen the results of that game but definitely the highest scoring game of the week here between the Saints and the Cardinals now we move on to the Browns versus the Ravens and I said the Ravens were going to take this one handily 35 to 14 again in favor of the Ravens for that one but no uh, the Ravens did win it but it was a close game it was a very close game. The Browns almost came back in this one, and the final score to that one was Ravens twenty-three, Browns twenty. So, correct uh, win prediction, but definitely off on the score line there. Now we have the Buccaneers versus the Panthers, and I said the Buccaneers w- would take this one handily, and who could blame me? Twenty-seven to ten was my prediction, and no. No 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 no. The Buccaneers got absolutely shut down by the Panthers in this one with a final score of the Panthers 21 and the Buccaneers 3. Just an absolute upset. For sure I I couldn't imagine anyone predicting that the Panthers were going to take this game. Started the season so poorly 1 in 5 to start the Buccaneers while not performing at their best were definitely the better team and you know going into this one but coming out of it, the Panthers shut them down completely. And this is the second time in Tom Brady's entire career and the first time since, 20, uh, since 2002 that he has started a season with a losing record after seven games. So just absolutely insane. Uh, definitely a crazy moment there for one of the NFL's top quarterbacks of all time. Whether you like him or not, one of the top quarterbacks of all time. Now we move on to the Falcons versus the Bengals. And I said that the Falcons would win this one. I thought this was going to be another minor upset here. Uh, I thought the final score would be 24-21. But that did not turn out to be the case whatsoever. As the Bengals blew the Falcons out of the water. This one wasn't even close with the final score being Bengals 35 and the Falcons 17 now we had the Lions versus the Cowboys and I thought this would be one of the highest scoring games of the weekend as the alliance have been known this season for scoring a ton of points that offense has been absolutely electric to start the season so i thought this one was going to be a very high scoring game their defense has been atrocious so i predicted a cowboys victory 36 to 28 that did not happen whatsoever though the cowboys did win this one but the Lions' offense got completely shut down in this one as the cowboys came out 24 to 6 victors over the Lions in this one. The Lions just got absolutely shut down. Their defense could not hold the Cowboys back. And so the Cowboys improved to 5-2 on the season. Now, we have the Giants versus the Jaguars. And I predicted a 19-16 victory for the Giants in this one. And yes, the Giants did end up winning this one. This one was close with the Jaguars actually holding the lead in the third quarter. Late in the third quarter. But... They faltered in the end, and the Giants came back to win this one with the final score being 23-17, to so still a close game, a six-point game, but the Giants did come out victors of this one, and I was correct uh, in that. Now, moving forward, we have the Colts versus the Titans. And I said that the Colts would win this one. I thought they would continue their winning streak. I thought they would continue with their momentum here with a 13-10 kind of uh, drawling victory in that one. But no, the final score to this one was Titans 19, Colts 10. The Colts had to settle for a loss in this one. Couldn't really get anything going against this Titans team. Now, one of the most surprising results of the weekend by far the packers versus the commanders i said the packers would take this one handily i didn't think the commanders had any shot at taking this game at all i said the final score would be 29 to 12 in favor of the packers but oh dear lord no that did not happen whatsoever as the commanders ended up coming uh out on top in the end very close game But the final score was 23-21. to And for Aaron Rodgers, this is the first time that he has faced a losing record through seven games in his entire career. And mind you, he started uh, as a starting quarterback in around 2008 for the Packers. So the first time in his career that he has had a losing record through seven games. So two of the most legendary quarterbacks in the game. In Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, both with losing records uh, to start the season here after seven games and some of the first times in their careers that they have faced this kind of difficulty. So just a crazy time right now in the NFL. But now we move on to the Jets versus the Broncos, and I said that the Jets would win this one by a score of 22-14, to and yes, the Jets did come out victors in this one, but by a bit of a lower margin than I expected here, as the final score to this one was 16-9, to so a very low-scoring game in this one, but... The Jets come out victorious in this one and improve to 5-2. Definitely one of the underdogs, one of the most overlooked teams, I feel, so far this season are 5-2 to start the season here, Uh, so that's definitely impressive to say the least. Now, we have the Texans versus the Raiders. I said the Raiders would win this one comfortably 24-9, and yes, they won it relatively comfortably. I did get this one correct, but... The Texans, both teams scored more than I expected here, with the final score being Raiders 38, Texans 20, and the Texans fall again. They only have one win on the season right now, uh, with their record being, I believe, 1-5-1, 1-4-1, one one of the two there. The Raiders starting to stay and just starting to steady the ship a little bit here as we move deeper into the season still not playing at their best necessarily but definitely a good win for them in this one now another bit of a crazy game here definitely not a result I expected now I said that the Seahawks would beat the Chargers 22 to 19 I thought this was a bit of an upset call I thought I was making a good call on this one and a bit of a surprising one but the Seahawks just had to come and one-up me didn't they as they ran out 37 to 23 victors in this game 37-23, 37-23, to 23, the Seahawks offense is absolutely on fire. Geno Smith is having a better season than I think most people expected him to have. He is absolutely electric right now. This team is absolutely electric right now, and while their defense hasn't been the best, you know, hasn't been all that strong per se, their offense has carried them, uh, and it, it has carried them far enough to... Beat some rather major opponents here lately the Chargers being the latest one and so huge victory for them in that one now we have the Chiefs versus the 49ers I said the Chiefs would get back to winning ways and finish this game off 27 to 16 they did win I got the win prediction correct but the score was much higher than I guessed here with the chiefs running out 44 to 23 victors over the 49ers just an insane game Patrick Mahomes back at his best for this one just an electric game no doubt about that chiefs back to winning ways now for our next one here I said that the Steelers would fall to the Dolphins by a score of 16 to 14 now the Steelers did lose this one, and I got the Dolphins score correct, so I give myself an extra point on that one. With the final score being Dolphins 16, Steelers 10. So the Steelers just really could not get anything going. Not that I really expected them to in this one anyway, but even less than I expected them to do in this one, only getting 10 on the board rather than the 14 I predicted. So. Now we have our Monday matchup, which, of course, I don't have the result for uh, at the time of recording, but I'm still sticking with my prediction in this one. I say that the Bears will take the upset in this one and beat the Patriots 19-17. to It seems to be the week for upsets. I'm sticking with mine in the Bears beating the Patriots. I- I'm sticking with it. You can't convince me otherwise. This is what we're going with. But now we get into this week's predictions week eight is upon us and we have 15 games with only two teams getting a bye week this time around but let's get into it here so my the first game of the week is the thursday matchup between the ravens and the buccaneers now i had a hard time just kind of determining who i thought would take this victory like i This was a very tough one, because in my head, I'm thinking, you know, the Ravens, they've played pretty well, but they've slipped up a little bit here and there, haven't always played the best, but neither have the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have not been great so far this season. They have not been all that impressive, but it seems like whenever they lose a game, they come back to win the next one. And so, at first, I was thinking a Buccaneers victory, but... I decided to go with a call and say that at some point, the Buccaneers are going to lose two in a row and really start to slip here a little bit. And I say that happens this week with the Ravens coming out on top by a final score of 24-14. to Now we have the Broncos versus the Jaguars. And I'm predicting a Jaguars blowout here. The Broncos have not impressed me this season. They have not played great football. They have not played impressive football. And Russell Wilson, who is out right now, uh, you know, hasn't really helped the team. And without him, they haven't been any better, you know. So they haven't played any better for this one. Uh, He was out for this last game and they did not play well at all. So I'm not predicting anything all that great. I think the. Jaguars are definitely capable at any point of going on a hot streak uh, after we saw them score uh, some impressive points, some impressive number of points in a couple of games earlier in the season that Chargers victory still comes to mind. And so I'm saying that they come out on top in this game by a final score of Jaguars 28 and Broncos 10. And mind you, it is worth noting that this game will take place in London on Sunday morning that'll be on at 9 30 Eastern Standard Time 1 30 in London so that'll be a very interesting game they're playing that at Wembley Stadium in London now we have the Panthers versus the Falcons now this is a tough call because on one hand the Falcons have been very surprising in their ability to score points and win games they have a three and four record right now they're actually not performing that badly overall Yes, they got absolutely, you know, kind of crushed in last week's fixture, but overall, they've been a very surprisingly good team, whereas the Panthers have not been. The Panthers, up until their shutdown of the Buccaneers in week seven, look a little hopeless. And so it's really tough for me to make the call because they had an amazing game against the Buccaneers. Do they continue that? Or do the Falcons get back on their feet, score a ton of points, and kind of close the Panthers back down and make them lose their momentum? I'm saying that the Panthers win this one. I'm going to make the call and say that the Panthers win this game 20-10. to I don't think it's going to be anything all that insane, but I'm going to say that they shut down this Falcons offense and take this one 20-10. Now, we have the Bears versus the Cowboys, and I wish I could call an upset on this one. I really do. I would love to see the Bears beat the Cowboys and shut them down. I I think that would be a lovely thing to see as an Eagles fan, but but looking at this more objectively, I can't. I can't predict an upset for the Bears in this one, even if they do beat the Patriots here on Monday night as of recording. Uh... I can't predict a win for the Bears in this one. I'm saying that the Cowboys come out 24-13 to 13 victors in this game. And the Cowboys will improve to 6-2. Now we have the Dolphins versus the Lions. And I think this one's going to be pretty easy. I think this is a Dolphins victory all the way. Lions, yes. They have been electric all season. As I said before, they have been a very good team offensively for sure, but I think this is going to be another game where their offense gets shut down. The Dolphins defense, while they haven't been outstanding this season, they have shown that they can shut down an offense. They've shown that they do have potential there and so I think it's going to be pretty easy for them, uh, a pretty decent offense overall over this rather atrocious Lions defense. 24-9 is my final prediction here. Now we have the Cardinals versus the Vikings, and I say that the Vikings are going to continue their very good run, improved to 6-1 on the season with a 31-20 victory over the Cardinals in this one. I think this one could be interesting, no doubt about that. I think this one could be very exciting to watch, but I'm saying that the Vikings win this one and improve to six and one. But now we get to the Raiders versus the Saints. And really, I just, I have to predict a Raiders victory in this one. The Saints have not impressed me during this season. Yes, they've had a couple good victories, but they're two and five right now. And I think they're going to have to stomach going two and six. As I think the Raiders are starting to steady the ship here. They're starting to play a lot better Uh, since their early woes and I think they're going to win this one pretty not not entirely comfortably but 22 to 13 is my final prediction in this one now we have the Patriots versus the Jets and I think this could be one of the more high scoring games of the week I don't think I have this one as my highest scoring prediction I think I have one higher than this but we do have the Patriots versus the Jets as a high scoring game for this one. And I'm saying that they run uh that the Jets run out victors in this one. Thirty-five to twenty-eight. I think this is going to be an exciting game to watch. Uh no doubt about that. Lots of touchdowns going back and forth. I think this could be a back and forth game all the way through to the end. Now we have the Steelers versus the Eagles, and I mean, I can only predict a victory for the Eagles in this one, right? Yes, the Steelers have proven that they can beat some good teams. They beat the Buccaneers a couple weeks ago, so they're not incapable of beating good teams. But I think the Eagles just have too much in this one. I think they have too much uh, potential here. They're rested. They had the bye week this past week. The Steelers had to get shut down by the Dolphins in week seven here. The Eagles are going to run out 28 to 10 victors in this one. The Steelers are going to be shut down once again. But now we have the Titans versus the Texans. And I think this is another Titans victory. The Texans, again, just haven't shown that they have much in the tank. Haven't been playing very well at all this season. And I think this is going to be a rather comfortable 19 to 9 victory for the Titans. I don't think the Texans are going to get very close in this one at all. Now, we have the Commanders versus the Colts, and I have a call to make. Do the Colts recover from their loss this past week with the Commanders you know kind of falling back off the the wagon again or are the Commanders going to take their momentum from beating the Packers into week 8 here? And I'm going to say that the Colts get it back. I'm going to say that the Colts get back to winning ways in this one and beat the Commanders by a score of 24-16. Now we have the 49ers versus the Rams in this one. This is going to be close. I think this is going to be the scrappiest game of Week 8 here. I think this is going to be back and forth all the way into the fourth quarter. And I think the Rams are going to come out on top by a field goal. 23-20 is my final score with the final field goal being scored in the last three minutes of the game. Tied twenty-twenty. deep into the fourth. I say the Rams win this one at the end, 23-20. Uh, to 20. We have the Giants versus the Seahawks. Now, with the way that the Giants have been performing, normally I would have predicted them to be the victor in this one. But the Seahawks have been terrifying, and this is the one game I said was going to be higher than the uh, Patriots Jets game, because I think the Seahawks have the potential to really upset this game and, and get the upset in this one over the Giants. And I say that this game finishes 38 to 27. Yes, you heard that correctly, 38 to 27. This is going to be an exciting match. It doesn't matter. One way or another, this is going to be an exciting matchup. And I think that the Seahawks, you know, they're they're going to win this one. They're definitely not the favorites to win this one. But I say they take this one. Packers versus Bills is our next one. And really, if you had put the Packers up against anyone else, I would have said that they get back to winning ways. Because right now, they're facing a three-game losing streak. Which is so, so beyond rare for them. They haven't won a game, I believe, since their victory over the Buccaneers a few weeks ago, and I think they're going to have to stomach another loss. I think they're going to have to make it four in a row. I think the Bills are just too good right now. They're rested. They had the bye week in week seven. I just don't see the Packers really coming back and winning this one, and I'm saying that they're going to get kind of crushed in this one with the Bills coming out 28-14 to 14 victors. Sorry, Packers fans, but I don't think it's looking good for you right now. Now, we get to the Bengals versus the Browns. And, you know, the Bengals did have a good game in Week 7. They played very well, shut down the Falcons with little issue. I don't think it's going to be entirely the same against the Browns. I think the Browns are still sneaky. While their record doesn't show that, their record isn't great right now. I think they have the potential to make this a closer game than it was against the Falcons. So I'm saying a 24-18 victory for the Bengals. I still say the Bengals win this one. I think they're starting to get back on track here after a very poor start the first few weeks of the season. They seem to be getting back on a roll here, and I think that'll continue. I think they have the potential to make that continue and come out on top of this one. Like I said, 24-18 to 18 over the Browns. But that is the end of our NFL section this time around, and I just want to give an update on the Neymar trial that I talked about in last week's episode, and I have some things to kind of correct and clear up here. So, I accidentally stated in the last episode that uh, Neymar's father was Sandro Rosell, the former president of Barcelona. That was a complete mix-up and a miswording on my part, and that that they are two completely separate people. They are two completely separate people, um, and so the former president was Sandra Rosell, but that is not Neymar's father uh, whatsoever. Two completely separate people on that one. Now, I do want to get into a bit of a clearer look at what the possible sentencing could be for everyone involved in this lawsuit. Now, Neymar himself could be facing two years in prison for corruption, as well as a 10 million euro fine. So that is the potential sentencing for him if he's convicted. His father, Neymar Sr., could be facing two years in prison time, again, for the same charge of corruption. Neymar's mother... Could be facing one year in prison. Former Barcelona president. Sandro Rosel. This is where the sentences get a little bit heftier. Rosel could be facing five years in prison. And 10 million euros in fines. For fraud and corruption. Along with a three year suspension. On any commercial or business activity. But then later former president of Barcelona Josep Maria Bartomeu could face 5 years in prison as well for corruption and fraud. And the former Santos president where Neymar came from, uh that's who he transferred from to Barcelona. The Santos president Adelio Rodriguez could face 3 years for attempted fraud. Now the charges spark from misleading information at the time uh where where Neymar's transfer from Santos totaled about 86 million euros but Barcelona had claimed that the transfer fee was just over 57 million so this led to a lot of questions being asked and a lot of speculation surrounding everything that happened there a lot of things were potentially covered up there and this led to a lot of questions this led to a lot of investigation and the brazilian investment firm dies who owned 40 percent of neymar's rights at the time has brought forward this complaint they brought forward the complaint back in june uh saying that they weren't properly compensated for the transfer because The firm gave Neymar's family millions of dollars in 2011 to help secure a future transfer once Neymar's contract expired at Santos in 2014. But since he got his transfer in 2013 to Barcelona, uh, the firm is saying that they didn't receive all the compensation that they were owed in that whole deal. And so this is where we're at now with the firm trying to recover some of the money that they lost in trying to uh, get all these people that I mentioned before convicted for fraud and corruption and these charges now Neymar did appear in court last week as I mentioned in the last episode he did appear in court and he did speak and he said this he said quote I was not part of the negotiations regarding that. It is my dad who always took care of that and will always take care of that. I just signed whatever he asked me to sign. So, Neymar is saying he's innocent in the entire proceedings. All parties are claiming innocence in these proceedings. All defending parties are claiming innocence in their part of the transfer negotiations and the entire uh settlement itself and so we're going to have to see lawyers for the defending party say that the spanish court doesn't even have jurisdiction to take this case up so we'll have to see what happens moving forward there neymar is still expected to join brazil uh, with the national team for the Qatar world cup which does start next month so that'll be a lot of exciting news for us here on eye on the ball moving forward with the guitar world cup starting very soon but that is the end of that for now. That is the end of this week's episode of Eye on the Ball. A lot going on right now. Uh, definitely had to rant about the Yankees situation. That's just everything's insane going on there. But we'll be back here tomorrow morning with an episode of Idiots in the News. And then on Friday with a roundup of the Newsweek. Until then, you guys, follow us on Twitter. If you have any predictions or any thoughts that you would like to have appear here on the show make sure you send me a message on twitter or the bbp news account both accounts are linked in the show notes so make sure you send your thoughts and your predictions my way and we will see if we can get them in the show uh, for the week ahead i record these on mondays so you have until monday morning to get your predictions in uh, before i record the episode for the week but that is it for me you guys for today we'll see you here tomorrow morning have a great start to your week or a great continuation to your week really (laughs) bye guys